We're going to uh, spend five weeks focusing on gifts of Christmas, uh, the, uh, remembering some of what we've been given um, in the coming or in the advent of Christ, you know, and, and who he is, what he's done. And we're remembering, we're focusing on it. Gifts are a big focus of Christmas. Now, it wasn't always that way, believe it or not. It was not always a, a way where gifts were a big focus at Christmas time. It was, it really is, um, as I was reading and looking back and, and studying some of this stuff, it, it was really only something that had, that had begun in the early 1900s, in the 20th century, where the whole idea gets, where Christmas really caught on as, as a, as a uh, uh, more of a, uh, celebration of uh, giving gifts and, and things. Before that, it was it was more focused on and narrowly more focused on a religious event, a religious holiday. Now, some people say, well, it came from pagan roots. It didn't come from pagan roots. Christmas itself, celebrating the birth of Christ, did not come from pagan roots. It came from uh, those, there was a, a section of the church, when I say the church, you know, it's those people who believed in Christ. There was a section of the church that uh, wanted to celebrate his birth, and there was a section that did not, a group that did not. Uh, they thought, that, you know, they didn't remember the, the, uh, the, the birthdays of martyrs. They remembered the days the martyrs were killed, uh, that they were martyred. And, um, well, then it celebrating, uh, recognizing the birth of Christ became a little more um, uh, prominent. And what happened, though, is it was celebrated different times of the year by different strains of the church. I talk, she talks back, we're good. Um, you know, it, it's uh, you know, they celebrated by different strains of, of the church at different times. Some celebrated it in March, and some, you know, celebrated other times of the year. Then they came to... Uh, kind of a consensus, almost an agreement, uh, almost by default, where they celebrated it on the 25th. Now, here is the connection where some people say that it has pagan roots. And again, it doesn't have pagan roots. It was moved to the 25th of December because uh, that sun the um, first Sunday after the solstice was celebrated by pagans uh, as, the, you know, the return of the sun. And... Uh, I thought, well, that's kind of a nice connection, except we would spell sun differently, you know, the return is. But, um, you know, and that's why it was moved to that day and time. But the birth of Christ was celebrated before that. Now, and now, you know, we, we do it on, on the 25th. And what I want to do is focus on some of the gifts we've received because Christ came. You know, what is ours because his came. Now, for those of you who like to, um, and I know some of you do this because, I do it when Kent preaches. I like to try to guess what some of the fill-in-the-blanks are in the outline. Um, I'll just give you a little hint here. You know, GIFTS is the acronym that we're going to use for the coming weeks. Uh, you know, as, as you see here, we're starting with the letter G today. If you look at your outline or the, the uh, screen, you can see that the G is for grace. Now, if you can go ahead and try to figure out the other ones, knock yourself out. Don't just don't. Be, I, I, I personally think that um, I think weeks one, three, and five are pretty easy. Uh, weeks two and four, not so much. Uh, I, I'll be really surprised if you get that. Now, just so we're clear, if you do guess all of them, there is there there are absolutely no prizes 
if you happen to uh, guess right, if you happen to get those all filled out. There's no prize. In fact, some people will begin to wonder about you if uh, you come up with the same things that I have there. Um, now, when I say gifts of Christmas, you know, what I mean is, you know, those things we receive because of the Incarnation. Those things we receive because Christ took on flesh. Incarnation, the taking on of flesh, that incarnation of Christ, that he came to live among us, came to give his life for us. Um, clearly the five things we're going to focus on, G-I-F-D-S-E, the five things, that it's not an exhaustive list. You know, not an exhaustive list at all, nor are these five necessarily the most important. Although they might be. You know, they just don't know. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into, uh, into the G, uh, grace, a little bit more. Father, thank you for your gifts to us. And as we think and we remember and reflect on grace today, I pray that by your grace you would open up our minds, that you would help us to see and understand a little bit more what a great God you are, what a mighty, powerful God you are, what a giving God you are, what a gracious and grace-giving God you are. Help us to see also how to be more like you, because that's what you've called us to, we pray. With thanks, in Christ's name, amen. Let's start with a brief yet theological um, definition of grace. Uh, grace is the freely given, unmerited favor and love of God. Uh, the, the, the freely given, unmerited favor and love of God. That's very brief and, and, it, and it is theological. It, you know, grace is freely given. It's not earned. It is not something that's earned. You know, it, it's not you know, a quid pro quo thing. You know, it can't be earned. It's not a payment we are due. Uh, you know, it is not a reward for what we've done. Grace is that it, it is freely given. It's unmerited because we don't deserve it. Here's, there's going to be a shock to some of you. Here's the reality of it. Your grandmother doesn't deserve it either or didn't deserve it. Even if she's the sweetest thing, you know, since, since uh, you know, uh, uh, chocolate-covered chocolate uh, Krispy Kreme glazed donuts, you know, and those babies are sweet. Uh, yeah, even uh, she, you know, it, it is undeserved. We do not deserve it. It is unmerited, not because of something for us, our own. And it's favor because it's always for our good. It's always for our good. God's grace is for our good. It's meant to regenerate and strengthen us. It's meant to keep us going. It's meant to move us forward. It's meant to raise us up, to draw us closer to him. It is always for our good and love because uh, God gives it. You know, And it's our, for our betterment and our benefit. But here's what we need to understand about love. Again, it's not because we earned it. It's because of who God is. It's because of who he is. You know, the, 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 he is good of heart. It's a virtue or excellence of divine origin. Regarding Christ, it is part of his divine being. You know, it is part of him, you know, himself, that God is love. Grace is, is given to us as a gift of love from God. 
Now, we're going to be in Ephesians 2. You know, that's going to guide us along as we look at this whole subject of grace. Ephesians chapter 2, if you're using a pew Bible, page 1076. Uh, when I was, when, uh, you know, I, to say God gave this to me, I, th- I think he led me this way, and I think he's the one who kind of put this uh, in place, and as he was, as I was, you know, he and I were, um, as he was helping me to think through this, this is the passage, the first passage that came to mind as I was thinking about the grace that we receive from God. Now, the word grace appears 100, 134 times in the Holman Christian uh, translation of the Bible. That's the one that's in the pew there. You know, it appears 134 times. So I began reading through each one of those, and and as I read through each one, six passages really uh, stood out to me, and so this could have been a six-week series by itself, but six passages, uh, but I continued to be drawn back to Ephesians chapter 2. So follow along with me, beginning at verse 1. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who was rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Now, there's a lot in these verses. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot there, and it's easy to focus on the details and miss the broader picture. And it's also easy to focus on the broader picture and overlook some of the details here. What I hope we do today, uh, you know, is uh, catch some of both. Uh, I'm going to expand on really three observations about grace that I see in these verses. And I think that will help us not only to see the broader picture, but to grasp a hold of some of the details, too, as we go along. What immediately jumped out to me is the need for grace. You know, the need for grace. And now if you're following, you know, where the, the, the verses there, uh, where I say, you know, it shows up and those, those kind of overlap a little bit because that's how this passage is, you know. But uh, we need grace. We need God's unmerited favor. We need that in our life. Notice what it says there. It says that we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. You know, it's mentioned in, in verse 1, it's mentioned again, you know, in, in verse 5 there, the, you know, the reality of the, you know, the trespass. The trespass is a false step or a blunder. That's what that word translated trespasses means, a false step or a blunder, a lapse, a deviation from the truth, a deviation from uprightness. And the word sin means to miss the mark. You know, that's what the word means, to miss the mark, to err, to be mistaken to miss or wander from the path. 
And that's either intentionally, be honest, let me be honest for you. We've all done it intentionally. We've all sinned intentionally. But here's the deal. It's intentionally or unintentionally. You say, unintentionally? How could God hold me accountable? It's, it's, it's sin is you know, intentional or unintentional. When uh, Jenny and I were just really, we just started dating. We started in, uh, on St. Patrick's Day. Um, you know, I'm sure every man in here remembers his very first date with his wife and the date and everything, and you know you can discuss that later amongst yourselves. Um, you know, on St. Patrick's Day of 1973, and in spring break of that year, let me refer it. Let me let me. Uh, Jenny was still in high school when we started dating. Um, she was a junior in high school. She was a senior in high school when we got engaged. But um, so spring break of that year, her junior year after we had just started dating in March, spring break, I think, was in April. Uh, she went to Texas with a friend of hers uh, for a week. They uh, took the train down there to um, spend with uh, her, the friend's brother. Um, I know the family. It's, it's the family at the house where Ginny and I met. We met at, at their house, and so it was my buddy... Uh, you know, and his sister, was, his sister was Ginny's friend. That's how we met. And so Ginny and my buddy's sister went down to Texas to their other brother's house to um, for the week, for spring break. They took the train back, and I went down to pick him up because, you know, I'm trying to be more the boyfriend, you know, than uh, uh, we were pretty well connected at that point, um, Different story, you know, but because she wrecked my car a week after our first date. But, um, the, you know, so we were, but um, I went and picked her up at Union Station, downtown Chicago. That's where we lived then, not Union Station. We didn't live there. Some people do, but not us. Anyway, uh, so we went there, and uh, I, I went down and picked her up at Union Station, and we're, it was my buddy and I and his sister and, and Jenny. And so we're driving back, and we're, you know, I'm driving back on LSD. Now, that's Lakeshore Drive, not drugs. Shame on you for thinking that of me. But, um, you know, we're driving back, and as we're driving, and I remember right where we were. It was before they, it was before they straightened out the, the S-curve. Those of you who drive on there now say that's straight. Well, it used to be 90-degree turns on Lakeshore Drive. But anyway, as we're driving through, we had just come through the S-curve, and I'm cruising along. And I didn't know the speed limit. I honestly didn't know the speed limit. And I, I said, does anyone know what the speed limit is as we're going under an underpass? And as we went under that underpass, and I look in my mirror, and on that ramp, here comes the Chicago cop right behind me with his lights on. Because he was up there timing. Guess who knew the speed limit? He did. I didn't. And I got a speeding ticket. But I didn't know. You see, it didn't matter if I knew or not. It didn't matter if it was unintentional or not. The fact was, I broke the law. Now, when he talks here about sin, you know, it is, it is both that intentional and unintentional. The, the, the point is, you know, that we're not in a position to receive favor from God. 
You know, we are not in that position. We are too busy doing our own things. We are too busy setting our own standards. We are too busy indulging our own wants and desires. We're too busy doing those things. And, and you know, so, you know, it's, it's that we were, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. And it's not just that they were occasionally uh, done. Notice what it says there. He says, those trespasses and sins in which you pre- previously walked. Now, when he uses the word walked here, and often in, the, in Scripture, in the New Testament in particular, as you see that, often it's talking about a habit, a lifestyle. It's a patterned, a patterned way of living not, you know, that, that we not only default to, we also deliberately choose. When he's talking about this is the way you walked, he is saying that this is, you know, it's that false step or blunder. We're missing the mark to err, to be mistaken as a pattern of life, as a way that, of living for us, which we too often very deliberately choose. We were in need of grace, in need of God reaching out to us, you know, because we could not save ourselves. We could not come to God on our own efforts because we had nothing to offer Him. We have nothing to put forward for Him. We could not come on our own merits, even if we wanted to. And there's one of the big obstacles for us. We didn't want to come to God. We didn't want to come to God. Because we're too busy, we're too wrapped up in chasing our own way, chasing our own trespasses and sins. You know, we're thinking you know, that, that, that that's the way to go, the way to happiness and fulfillment. And we're too busy chasing those things to bother to come to God because we're locked into this pattern, way of living, these deliberate choices which really knock God out of the picture. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the way of this world. That's what he says. According to the ways of this world. You, we, are all influenced by the ways of this world and we decide who we're going to follow. If we're going to follow God or what the world says. Now when we talk about the world here, Scripture is talking about when it uses the, the word world very often again in the New Testament it's talking about a system which intentionally rejects God alright that's what it's talking about a system in which God is cut out of he's not considered he's, he's not thought about you know and He's just ignored. So he says, you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. He says, we too all previously lived, all, that includes you, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. There's, there's the battle for us a lot of times, isn't it? Our fleshly desires. There's the battle. We lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. Battle of the flesh, the battle of the mind. He says, and we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. We were all there. We were all living this way. Now, certainly, certainly, some were, some were living it more obvious in more obvious ways than than others. But it's not the observability of sin that is the problem. The fact that sin is easily observed is not the problem. The problem is the reality of sin. That's the problem. 
the reality of it, that it's there. Now, some, you know, some sin, you know, are, are more heinous than others. Some are more horrendous, you know, than, than we were, certainly. But again, it's not the ferocity of sin. It's not the, it's not the depths to which you, to which you went down to. That's not the, that's not the, that's not the problem. The problem is the presence and the practice of sin. That is the problem. The presence and the practice of sin. We have a real need for grace. Because without it, we're lost. But our need's not the compelling motivation for grace. You know, that's not what, what motivated God. You know, what motivated God to reach out to us in grace? It's, it wasn't really, it's not our compelling need. Now you're going to say, well, certainly it was. Well, you know, you think of yourself more highly than you want. Um, so if our need wasn't, wasn't, you know, if our need wasn't the compelling motivating factor for it, what was it? Well, look at verse 4. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You see, notice what he says there. God was motivated, compelled even, by his rich mercy. His rich mercy. He was compelled by that. By his, because, of who he, because of who he was. His rich mercy, a part of who he is, and because of who he is, it moved him to, to reach out to us. Now, we usually define grace, you know, as God giving us blessings we don't deserve, and mercy is God not giving us the punishment we do deserve, and those are certainly true statements. You know, those are true statements, uh, you know, in, in their brevity, but they're true about grace and mercy. I ran across this definition while I was studying, and I, I like it. It says, mercy is the outward manifestation of pity. It assumes need on the part of him who receives it, and resources adequate to meet the need on the part of him who shows it. You know, that mercy, you know, mercy is given there. The Oxford Dictionary actually has a pretty good definition as well. Oxford, uh, Mr. Oxford, uh, defines it as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. A brief yet, I think, again, a theological definition would be, and I would change this a little bit uh, this morning as I was reading through it again. I kind of did change it. But um, withholding punishment and extent, a theological definition here. Now, this applies not only to, not only to God, but we're looking, we're looking specifically at God extending mercy to us. But we are also called to be merciful with one another. So he says, withholding punishment and extending compassionate treatment of those in distress, especially when it is within one's power and right to punish them. It is within God's power and right. I would even say God has the obligation to punish sin. You say, well, no, 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 he doesn't. No, think about this now. If there's no punishment for sin, if there is no punishment for sin, if there is no distinction between sinning and not sinning, then sinning really doesn't exist. If there's no distinction between the two. 
You see, but there is a distinction between the two. If, there's, if there were no consequence, then sin is, a, is simply a fallacy. You know, it, it, it's, it's non-existent if there is no consequence. That's why I say you know, it, there is an obligation on the part of God to punish sin. That's why Christ went to the cross. Because of sin, not his. Not his sin. He went to the cross because of my sin. Because of your sin. God fulfilled the obligation to punish sin. He has that right. He has that authority. I would even say he has that responsibility, that obligation to punish sinners. But his rich mercy, it says, motivates him to withhold that just punishment. It's a just punishment. He has the right to bring it, and he extended grace instead. Now notice verse 4 not only mentions his rich mercy, but it mentions his great love as well. His rich mercy and his great love as a motivating factor. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love. Because of his great love that he had for us. A more literal translation is you know, because, because of his great love with which he loved us. I like that. It mentions love twice. Because of his great love with which he loved us. I, I really like that more literal uh, translation there, you know. Now, it's probably not a surprise to you that the word for love there is that word agape. We've talked about this before. Um, it's two different forms. You know, it's two different forms. It's used as a noun and as a verb. The great love with which, as a thing with which he loved us is his action, you know, in, in reaching out to us. Uh, you know, it speaks of love. That, 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 word lo- that word for love speaks of a love that is given for the better, betterment of the other person without any regard for return. That he does it for the betterment of he does it for the betterment of the one that he's expressing the love to without any regard for return. You know that I don't invite you over for dinner so that you'll have me over for dinner. I invite you over for dinner because as an expression of love and care for you and wanting wanting to do something for your betterment. That's the you know that's the whole the whole picture here of what he's talking about. That's the love that brought Jesus to the cross. John 3:16. For God so agaped the world that he gave his one and only Son. Not because of any return, but because of he wanted to do it for the betterment of the people, of us. You know, and it's his rich mercy, great love working in tandem here, extending grace to people who rebelled against God, people who chose to live with no regard. For God. <clears throat> Another motivation for grace mentioned in verse 7. He says, So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God's kindness. God's kindness motivates him to extend love to us. You know, that word kindness, that word translated 
you know, kindness there. It, it means, you know, in, in the sense of what is upright and just, in a sense of what is righteous. It's a quality of the heart. It, it's a, a moral quality. In some other places in the New Testament, that word is translated as goodness. You know, that it, it is that inherent goodness. It's a quality of being, a character. Uh, you know, it, it's an integrity of goodness and kindness that is a part and parcel of the person. And here, his great love and kindness motivated him, motivated him to extend grace to us while we were yet sinners. Paul says, you know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While, while we were still sinners, still actively participating in sin, he gifts us grace. Now, the third observation uh, regarding grace from these verses and um, really has most of the stuff in it, but we don't have most of the time left. So we're going to move right along through the effects of grace. You know, the effects of grace. Our need for grace is very real. Our need for grace is very present. And God's very being, the essence of who he is, the very attributes that make him God, compel him, compel him to extend grace to us. And the effects, the effects of his grace in our lives are massive. They're massive. It only touches on some of them here. He says that we were made alive with the Messiah in verse 5. By God's grace, we went from dead to being alive. You know, we went from being dead spiritually, spiritually dead, to being spiritually alive. The things of God didn't make sense to us and we didn't care about them before. We were made spiritually alive and the things of God begin to make sense to us. We begin to care about them more. We have, you know, we have, we've been made alive with Christ. We have been given new life. I mean, we talk about that before, you know, that, that whole new life, that picture of new life. Second Corinthians chapter 5. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Now, here's the deal. You no longer have to be what you once were. This is what he's telling us here. You no longer have to be what you once were. He tells us, you know, all that, all that we once were. And he's, by God's grace, we don't have to be that. You have new life, new power, new purpose, new drives, new motivation here. All made possible by God's grace at work in your life. By God's grace working in you, you stop living in the past and you start living that new life God has given you. Don't choose, choose let me rephrase that, choose not to live in your past. I can't forgive myself for that. You're right, you can't. But you know what? God does forgive you, so leave it behind where God said he forgives it and move on. Untie it from your butt as the anchor, you know, and, and get moving. And get grown with God. You know, and quit being tied back and held back by what you were. I think Alcoholics Anonymous is a great organization, and they have helped millions of people get off of alcohol. One of the things I very much disagree with them on is, you know, one of the things they talk about is that once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. No, by the grace of God, I am not. By the grace of God, 
we leave these things behind. By the grace of God, I am made new, a new creation. And what I what I was to say it's irrelevant. It isn't totally true in a couple of regards. One is, um, don't forget what God saved you from. Don't forget what he saved you from. And don't go back there again. When you remember what he saved you from, it builds that gratitude in your heart. When you remember what he saved you from, you don't want to go back there again. You know, you, you, you can, you know, you, you leave that behind. But sometimes there are, you know, there are consequences, scars, you know, different, different, you know, if, you know, if, if we were talking about alcohol, if you were an alcoholic and, uh, um, you know, you can have some consequences from that. You know, you can have some struggles from that. If you abuse drugs, you can have some some lingering consequences from that. You know, I, I told you before about a friend uh, who he, I met him. He was when I met him, he was abusing a methadone program. Methadone is what you use to get off a of heroin. And uh, he and his brother, his brother had done time. His, his brother is a convicted felon for. Uh, drugs, uh, heroin, and uh, they were both on the methadone. In fact, I met three guys at once. All three of them were on the methadone program. Two of them were abusing it horribly. Uh, one, the one guy who was, um, I, I, I can remember, we, we were looking for him one day, um, chasing him down because he was you know, abusing his methadone and all messed up, and we found him in a parking lot of a grocery store, and uh, I remember you know, he was trying to get in his car to leave, and I just got in there in front of him. When I say in front of him, I mean his face was here and my face was here, kind of where I've been keeping it. Um, his name was Danny, Danny Claytis. And uh, Danny had, I told you about him before, he had the one arm that just hangs there. Because when Danny was messed up on, on drugs, he went out and uh, wrecked his motorcycle. Cool thing is, you know, the rest of the story. Uh, Danny became a Christian and gave his life to Christ. And he battled that for, not battled Christ, you know, he battled that addiction still for a little bit. But he was able to leave that behind and he he grew to be um, a, a deacon in his church, you know, and stuff. And just a cool, just such a cool transformation of life. That arm still hangs there. He has a apparatus that he puts on there, and he can lift his arm and click it into place and click a little higher and then release it. You see, sometimes some of those consequences go with us, but you know what Danny remembered? Every time he had to... He remembered by the grace of God what God saved him from. What God delivered him from. So when I say, you know, don't live back there, don't live back there. You might, you know, you don't forget it because there are reminders that will motivate you on and motivate you to, you know, to, out of gratitude for God, 
you know, going on further and higher and closer to him. But it, that whole thing, we are made new. You no longer have to start living that new life. Verse 6, I thought we weren't going to spend much time on this, and here I go. Uh, verse 6 tells us uh, another effect, that we have a place with Christ. You know, we have a place with Christ. Verse 6, he says, together with Christ Jesus. Is that a cool phrase or what? Together with Christ Jesus. That's one of those verses that it's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around. You know, He calls us co-heirs with Christ. He also in Scripture, co-heirs with Christ in the end. Yeah, no, no, no. You know. <laughs> anyway, uh, together with Christ Jesus, he also raised, raised us up and seated us in the heavens. Notice that is worded in the past tense. It doesn't say he will and that one day we will be. He says he has raised us up. Past tense, we are raised up. He has, past tense, seated us in, you know, in, in, in the heavens. It's something we have for sure. Because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on the grace of God. It's an effect of God's grace at work in our lives. He says, together with Christ. You know, this is what we've become because of Christ. Because of God extending his grace to us. And in Christ, this is what we have. We don't work our way into heaven. It is not if the good outweighs the bad. And I've done enough good, you know, so uh, I, I think I, I just need a little more. That's not the question. It's not the good outweighing the bad. He raises us up, he says. We are raised up and seated in heaven because by God's grace, we are counted worthy in Christ not because of the works we've done. He goes out, he said, you know, that we're saved. He mentions that in verse 5 and again in verse 8, that we're saved. He said, verse 5, you are saved by grace. Verse 8, you are, for you are saved by grace. Saved, rescued. You know, we, we were headed for hell. We were destined, you know, we were destined for God's wrath. Why? Because we were sinners and we deserved it. And that's where we were headed. And by grace, we are removed from that place of wrath and our position, as well as our destiny, is now with God. It is changed, and we are now with Him. And that, that's closely, you know, closely linked with that is faith. Faith is an effect of grace. You know, that's what verse 8 says. Verse 8 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Uh, the word where it says, this is not from yourself, that word this refers to faith. Now, here is what, what, how one of the commentators explained it. And, you know, some of you will say, what? And, and others of you will, anyway. It says, the Greek pronoun is neuter, while grace and faith are feminine. Accordingly, this points to the whole process of salvation by grace through faith as being the gift of God and not something we can accomplish on ourselves. This use of the neuter pronoun to take the whole of a complex idea is quite common in Greek. It is here used, its use here makes it clear that faith, no less than grace, is the gift of God. Salvation, therefore, is in every respect not your own doing. This is what he tells us. You know, it, it, that's what he tells us there in, in verse 8. You are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. The whole process, everything about it is the gift of God. You know, it, 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 that's what, you know, faith, that gift of God. Uh, the final effect we're going to look at is in verse 10. Verse 10, he says, For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Good works are an effect of grace. An effect of grace. You know, where do works fit with salvation? They are an effect of grace. Good works have a place in our life. Not to earn. It is not to earn God's love. It's because we already have God's love. We're not earning it. It's a result of having God's love. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. Good works show the reality you know, that's been going on in our life. It shows that we have been, that we are being transformed by God's grace. You know, I, I don't do so good, but you do better than you did. And tomorrow, do better than you're doing. See, I mean, that's all it is. It, it, we, are, we are growing in this whole thing. We're used to sinning. Now we're getting used to not sinning. You know, and that whole growth thing, you know, and we didn't receive grace, you know, just ourselves. We're to live out the grace we've been given by doing good works and effective grace. Look at the transformation that God brings into our lives. Look at verse 1. He says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. You were dead. You were dead in them. What we were before grace, the walking dead. It's not a, a new TV program. It's an old way that we used to be. What we are before grace is the walking dead. Dead to the things of God. Dead to caring about it. We didn't even care, you know, and dead to eternal life with God. But after grace, look at verse 10. We are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, so we should walk in them, so we should live this way, so we should live in and by the grace of God. Grace a gift of Christmas, a gift of the coming of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gift of grace, for what you have given us in Christ, not because of us, but because of what he has done. Not because we deserved it, because we don't, and we didn't, and we won't, we can't. And you give it to us because of who you are, because of your love, your mercy, your, your, all these things we've been looking at so much more, Father, that you lay out for us and gift us grace. Help us to walk in that and not in what we used to be. We are no longer, we are, we are no longer feeding sin. We are dead to sin and alive to you. We used to be dead to you and alive to sin now. We are changed by your power, by your grace. And we are alive to you and dead to sin. Don't let us feed that any longer. Guide us by your grace. Help us to live in and through your grace, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.